welcome to another episode of The Confidence Rooms. I've kicked my kids out and I'm standing in my living room surrounded by a duvet on a, on a washing rack, weirdly, because it absorbs the sound because this room can be a bit tinny. And I have on the line one of the people I've been trying to pin down for ages to join me in The Confidence Rooms. Rebecca Pearson is a model from London. Alongside modelling, which she has done since 2001, she's also a qualified facialist and a writer. And she's appeared on the news to speak about model rights and issues around social media and body image. She can usually be found at a dance class on a shoot, working at the skin clinic or making podcasts with her friend Leanne, who wrote the model manifesto. Rebecca, thank you so much for joining me today in the Confidence Rooms. You're welcome. I'm really sorry. It was so hard to pin me down. It's been a mad few weeks. Yeah. I mean, do you feel like you're kind of through it unscathed or are you just busier than ever? Um, I am busier than ever. Over lockdown, my model agency of about eight years shut down and I, I joined a new agency called Nev's over lockdown. And as soon as it started lifting, I actually, I started working and I also started working I work at a clinic called Skin Philosophy and I've always worked slightly ad hoc, but I've started working every single Saturday. So that is my first experience of a job job. So loads more shoots. And then at the weekend, no time to really decompress. So I've been adjusting to that. So it's almost like you're working 24-7. Well, seven days a week. Is that right? Yeah, I never really switch off, but I think for a lot of models, we often don't switch off because if we're not on a shoot or a casting, we would be working on our bodies at the gym or social media or just worrying about whether the last job we did was the last job we'll ever do. So you're, you don't really, I don't think anyone switches off after work anymore because we're available all the time through emails and a lot of people have busy social or home lives. I think with modelling, there's very few boundaries. Like I'm working on bank holiday that's coming up, which I'm really happy with, but I just have no concept of holidays, um, regular pay, any kind of job security. Do you know, I didn't even actually know it was a bank holiday until today. My husband said, oh, it's bank holiday Monday. And I think, you know, we're, I'm freelance as well, or I work for myself. So I've got similar sort of a, similar views as you, really. It's all, all the days kind of whiz into one, don't they? And there's definitely not a nine to five life, is there? No, and I'm really grateful. I love, I love all of my jobs. And I get a buzz every time I get booked, even though I've modelled for so many years. I wouldn't give it up and I wouldn't choose to have a nine to five. But sometimes when I have shoots all over London or even outside of London and I don't get the things that are really important to me, like it's really important to me to get to my dance classes. It's important for me to have my routines at home, like my flat. I live by myself in my flat and it's probably the one thing I really have control over, like my home environment. So when I don't get to come home and just do my things and have some space, that's when I start to feel a bit scattered. Yeah, and I think more so than ever, people are really realising how control looks like for them, don't they? And, and actually space or not space. Um, some people have been surrounded by family. Some people have been much more on their own over the last few months, haven't they? So, I mean, people have just experienced so many different facets to their lives, haven't they? Yeah, my lockdown was, I think, relatively easy compared to a lot of other people because 
I'm single and I live on my own. So even though probably by week seven, it was a bit weird that the only face-to-face conversation I had was the cashier in Sainsbury's once a week. I had quite a nice time, to be honest. Yeah, you're in your little bubble, in your little safe bubble, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I was just Um, doing dance classes and having just time by myself. Got a big garden with my block of flats, so had quite a chilled time. Yeah, having time to kind of reflect and, and think is, is always a always a joy, isn't it? So being a model is a job that it takes a lot of confidence or people feel like it takes a lot of confidence, don't they, to be a model. Do you, I mean, how do you feel confidence sort of links to modelling? Um, and also, how, how did you get into modelling? I got scouted in 2001. I was 16. I definitely had not considered modelling before. But there was a patch where I got scouted pretty much every time I went up to London. They can just see it. You know, I used to wear my brother's clothes and I had acne and my braces had just come off and I wore glasses and stuff. I definitely was not someone at school that people thought, wow, Rebecca's beautiful. She's going to be a supermodel. I think there was a bit of surprise when I got scouted, especially because there was girls in my year who were you know, conventionally tall, thin, beautiful, and it was always expected they would model. But for me, modelling definitely gave me a lot of confidence at an age where I don't think anyone feels like they fit in, but I really didn't feel as though I fitted in. I was really tall. I was super skinny, but I always felt really big. I remember I used to get called a lesbian a lot, which is obviously, I would not find that an insult now, but I think at the time in the 90s, it kind of was used to denote being bigger and not bigger, like taller than everyone and like not feminine. And I definitely, you know, those were the sort of days of Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera. And I was really into strange psychedelic 70s bands and (laughs) yeah weird bands that my brothers got me into and stuff and I just didn't feel I just felt like a black sheep like a lot of us do and then when I got scouted there was just this whole world of misfits you know the fashion industry especially when you get scouted in your early days you do lots of weird edgy shoots And the people I met were so interesting and different. And it was like this whole world where I could be myself. And my body type was actually perfect. I had the perfect measurements naturally. And my look, which felt a bit different at school, was celebrated. Like I was paid for it. And so it actually gave me a lot of confidence because it helped me be myself. It didn't help me become another person. But on the other hand, like... As soon as you get scouted, when you get scouted, they say, oh, um, you have an amazing look. We love it. But then as soon as you're signed, they want you to change the way you dress or other girls might have been told to lose weight off their hips at 15, 16. And throughout your whole career, you're either on the job where you've been booked because they love the way you look or you're just going forward for jobs and being rejected based on the way you look. So it can really play with people's confidence it can really destroy a lot of people's confidence. I think I was just quite lucky. I guess they get you, well, I'm, I'm talking sort of broadly here, but you're, you're signed, you're in, in a modelling agency. And then it's, is it, 
where the work is, is why they kind of, you know, talk to you about potentially changing your look or dressing in a different way. Are you, are they trying to fit you to a certain brand or into a certain paid job? Or is it just that having a certain look, you know, is more accepted or it's just a more, you know, a highly, highly paid look? When they sign you, they have a idea, they have a vision for where they'd like to take you. And I think some models are really good at dressing the way that they're told to dress or adapting their bodies and others don't take to it so well. I definitely, you know, they were always trying to change the way I dressed, which honestly, I did wear some weird stuff, but I think the way I always looked was very true to me. So I found it very hard to adapt in that sort of way. But essentially they're they're adapting you to a vision because they see where you could be making money in the industry. And it's different for everybody. For some people, it might be high fashion, Versace campaigns and for other people it might be straight into e-com and being very commercial I just think some people you know it's a big industry there's very little regulation so one booker might tell you why you should change how and how to do it in a really safe responsibly supported sort of way and others get carried away or they forget they're dealing with young people and they don't do it very responsibly and that's why we see people developing eating disorders or really having crises of confidence yeah exactly and it's young lives isn't it you know we forget it's it's young people but it's also their lives as well it's you know whatever happens at that sort of age in your life tends to map out what comes next doesn't it so you're right it's a really sensitive time isn't it and I guess you learn as you go along but working with the right people is absolutely paramount isn't it it's essential that you feel supported as a you're really young when you get signed aren't you how old were you did you say 16 yeah it's really young isn't it you're still developing you're still finding your feet as a human being so what does your confidence look like to you and for you and when do you need your confidence most in your life I mean obviously as a model um, there's other aspects to your life that you talked about at the beginning so what does confidence look like and when do you need it most Confidence to me is self-belief and self-knowledge. That's why I'm at a much more empowered place in my career in my 30s than I was. I think I was quite empowered in my teens because I just thought I was great. When people told me to change, I just thought, nah. But in my 20s, there was a lot more self-doubt. And self-knowledge, knowing what you're okay with, number one, especially with modelling, but also just knowing what you like and you don't like and what you're willing to compromise and what you're not willing to compromise. And I think the more that you know that, the more confident you are because you're just going to be attracted to things that are healthy for you. And I think I, I think I need confidence every waking minute because you're constantly making decisions, aren't you? Even when you're not aware you're making decisions, you're on social media and you're choosing, am I going to compare myself to this person or am I just going to celebrate them? Or when you're in the shop, Am I going to buy foods that are going to nourish me or am I going to buy foods that I know will make me feel a little bit guilty? I think confidence has so many different iterations. I just thank my lucky stars every day that I have the parents that I have because they're just just unquestioningly supportive and loving. And also the fact that I'm from London meant that when I started modelling, I didn't have to stay in model apartments because usually you're just staying with loads of other lost 16 and 17 year olds (laughs) from all over the world. But I would go home and say someone had told me my hips were too big. My mum would just go, well, they're not (laughs) and give me dinner. You know, I had a very stable home life. And I think 
because of that healthy parental relationship, I've largely garnered really healthy friendships and even working relationships. So I think that just constantly feeds into the confidence. And I know that I'm so lucky to be able to say that. And I guess you had that outlet, didn't you? You had people to talk to who like were not judging you. They were, you know, loving and caring people and just going home and saying, look, this was my day. And they could give you some sort of fairly grown up, mature kind of reality on the situation, couldn't they? And I guess sometimes when people don't have that, that's where they tend to get a bit lost. Um, They tend to go down paths that maybe don't necessarily suit them or they believe people in their lives who may, may not be saying the right things to them. But having that kind of soundboard for you, I guess, was your that was your confidence, wasn't it? That, that gave you confidence. Yeah, because my parents have always really respected modelling and how I am within modelling. They've always been really proud that I did it quite sensibly. And I really appreciate the fact that, for example, when I was in sixth form, there was a vending machine and I used to eat like a Yorkie and a packet of nice and spicy knickknacks and a Caramac and a Lilt every single day on top of the packed lunch that my mum made me. So I did start to put on a bit of weight and feel not so good in modelling. And I said it to my mum and she was like, okay, well, let's make healthier things for dinner and maybe we should stop snacking so much. And I just, just things like that, rather than her completely denying it, that meant that I could learn to deal with things like that in a healthy way rather than, you know, I could, if she had said no, and not supported me in that could have gone an unhealthier way so just the fact that they see modeling as a valid career not a distraction or a little hobby yeah it's really really important isn't it that you've got that support around you so you talk about confidence a lot and how yours has been relatively stable but if there's any areas of confidence that you possibly have sort of noticed that you might need to work on or have sort of had problems with in the past what are they um and if you did need to work on something do you know what that would be yeah dating I think I think dating is my final frontier I really notice that in the last few times I've dated people I go into this world of self-doubt even though I don't think I do and I think Dating in your 20s was so much more simple. Like, you met someone, maybe you got on, you dated for a couple of months and you saw how it went. But in your 30s, it feels like people have so much baggage and it just feels more complex and it can be quite toxic, I think. And I've just struggled with, I suppose, self-worth in a different way to... You know, I'm, I have a lot of self-worth in modelling which is actually miraculous. And as I say, like I have really great friends and family and I know that they love me and I love them. And I'm very secure in that. And in dating, I just, I guess when the guys start texting you less, I don't think, okay, he's clearly not into this and I'm not going to waste my time. I'm more like, oh, I'm I'll make myself more likeable. Not consciously, but I look back and I realise that I've done that or I'll accept this kind of behaviour that actually is a bit off. And that does not help with the self-belief and the self-knowledge and the self-worth. So I think over lockdown, for me, I did a lot of... not I didn't consciously work on myself, but I think I just really was able to have the space to see where certain friendships or behaviours didn't serve me. 
or were a bit toxic. And hopefully moving forward, I've just realised how amazing my life is, which I always knew. Now I have a new appreciation for how amazing my life is. And I just don't want someone to come in and wreck that. So perhaps and hopefully I have worked on it a bit and I'm coming from a more empowered place. And I've realised with dating, I just, I think I need to be more calm and centred and also just not attach narratives to it. Like just because someone gives you an amazing couple of first dates does not mean that they're actually really into you. It just means it was an amazing couple of first dates and just take it day by day rather than thinking, oh, I think I really like this person, which is a shame because I'm a romantic, but I think I need to be more of a realist. I think it's harder now as well, though, isn't it? Because we, because of social media and the fact that we know so much about other people, when I, I don't mean to sound like an old fart here, but when I was sort of <laughs> dating, I mean, I've been married for 10 years, but before that, we had mobile phones, but it wasn't such a big thing. My husband, I bumped into him at a gig and I found him on MySpace afterwards. So there was an element of social media to the way that I met Dan, but now I think I didn't really know anything about him. So we did you know, we did attend the same party and I'd sort of bumped into him and chatted to him that night and then found him later on, on, on MySpace. But I think, you know, we know so much about people. Do you think that makes it harder or do you think that makes it better? I think you have to be really self-disciplined because I think it can make it harder. I've set myself the boundary that if I meet someone, I won't look at their Instagram like, I, it's so tempting to go all the way back and find all the girls they've dated yeah. and click yeah. on the profiles of all the girls they've dated and build up a picture of how much better those girls are than you and why they liked them. And it's so mad that I do that because if you think I model, I'm surrounded by people who are thinner or more successful, more beautiful, more financially successful because of the way they look than I am. And I never compare myself. I'm just like, well, they're in their lane. I'm in my lane. This is modeling. And I just, I have that tendency and it's such an unhealthy tendency. And it's a bit like if I know that I'm going to buy chocolate and then eat it all in a day, I just won't buy the chocolate in the first place. And so I just don't click on their Instagram because I'll, I'll go in this weird self-torture thing and I don't know why I do that. So I really try and get to know a person based on what they're willing to reveal to me in their own time because I think that the whole stalking thing is so tempting because also once you've been treated like rubbish a couple of times, you think, right, I'm going to try and stalk this person to see if they're going to just be a dick. But I think... I think it's also romantic to let it happen in the older pace of things. Because I'm the same as you. Like, there was MySpace and there was MSN Messenger and all that kind of stuff. But you still had some distance. And I think, I think it's like respecting someone else's choice of how much they're willing to reveal. Yeah, you're right. And I don't, I don't envy people who, you know, and especially younger generations, like my daughter, for example, who's, you know, much, much younger. She's 10, but she's going to start her secondary school. All her friends are on social media. I get, not now, but they will be. So I find that, you know, I find it really hard to navigate that in my own head. And I think the fact that we know so much about people can actually be quite detrimental to anything sort of natural, can't it? Because you're not really fact-finding unless you do what you're doing and sort of, you know, completely close yourself off to it, which 
but you're right, the temptation's there, isn't it? It's kind of like, oh, I know that I could look, but should I, should I, shouldn't I? But having to make those choices, I think, is really difficult. Yeah, and I'm fine if someone wants to, you know, stalk me and go back to my first Instagram post because I kind of put a lot of myself out there, but not that much personal stuff. And I do have, I like, I'm a journalist, so there are articles written by me and I've chosen to make those things public, but it's like my own choice for my own mental health and feeling empowered in dating, which I've said I don't always feel the most empowered I could. I've known you for about 10 years. I don't know if you, I'm sure you remember, but 10, I think it was 10 years ago. Um, Back in the days when I was a full-time makeup artist, I did your makeup at the National Wedding Show when you were a beautiful bride on stage. Mm. How We talked a bit about your confidence over the years, but from what I knew back then, I see a very a, a more grown-up model, a more grown-up woman, a much more kind of mature person, and that's what happens over years anyway. But if you think about your confidence from that day to, to now in terms of your work or your life, has it... You've talked about it wobbling and changing, but have you noticed what it's done over those years? I, is what I guess I want to find out from you. Yeah, I found that my confidence in my 30s is just so much more grounded and real and bigger. I think when we worked together, which of course I remember, and you were newly pregnant, I believe, because you told me you were very excited. Oh, that was, at the, that was the second time. That was when I was pregnant oh. with Ivy. That was eight years ago. But the first one was the National Wedding Show, wasn't it? When we, in Birmingham. Do you remember? Oh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> in my 20s, I was outgoing and I was confident on some levels, but essentially I felt quite big. I wasn't very happy with my body. I was working all the time, but I was a bit bigger, which is not a bad thing. But for me, I felt very self-conscious of it. And I also had been a model at Select, which is a huge, really cool, really vibrant agency. They had dropped me and I joined a tiny little agency where I got a lot of commercial work and a lot of work that didn't feel that great. And so I'd turn up on jobs feeling quite apologetic. I felt like, oh, I bet they wish they had someone edgier. I didn't have that much confidence in my face. Like I just felt I didn't have strong features. I felt quite average. I felt like a very average person. I didn't Mm. have any side projects as well. And I was terrified about my future because I had got a degree. I had got a really good education. I knew I had a good mind, but I just wasn't putting it to anything. Mm. And 10 years later, I've established myself as a journalist like I started a website and I started writing for places like the Telegraph I appeared on the news I've done really crazy weird articles like I've just been commissioned to write articles from everything from writing about tartan to super yachts to body image so you know I've been able to apply my my learning to journalism I trained as a facialist which I've always had an interest in skincare but just having a more vocational backup really that works Mm. alongside modeling but I also I started dance classes I got my hair cut into a bob I started realizing that it didn't matter whether I was the world's most exquisite looking model what mattered is turning up to a job and being really good at it and getting Mm. everything done so that everybody can just get home. Like I have so many regular clients because I'm a safe pair of hands and it's totally 
great and totally valid to be that model. It's just <laughs> as amazing for like Bella Hadid or Giselle and models like that to be on the cover of Vogue. So I think I just appreciate myself as a model now. And mm. because I have passions and because I have other career avenues, I'm not putting so much attention and desperation on my next booking as a model. And it's you, you know where you fit now, don't you? That's what you... You've said that before and I've sort of seen that through some of the work that you've done and on Instagram and stuff like that. You know, you sort of know who you are now and you know what work suits you and you know what clients you love working with. Um, and that really comes across, doesn't it? And I guess that's where you do your best work, isn't it? Because you're being booked because you are the right person and then you feel like you're working with the right people as well. Um, and that really, you know, it's that collaboration that I guess really brings confidence out, doesn't it? Yeah, because even though I go to bed every night before a shoot a bit nervous and excited because I care about it, whether that's people I've worked with for 10 years or a totally new client, mm. I also, I just know modelling inside out. I know I'm good at it. It's so wonderful to know I'm good at something and that yeah. I can trust myself and that the whole team yeah. can trust me. Yeah, and you deliver and you love yeah. it. That's the thing. We talk, you know, in some of the podcasts of, that I've already recorded, we've talked a lot about enjoyment and knowing that all these opportunities that we're given in life, they help, you know, you need confidence to do some of them, but also they feed back into confidence. And when people are nervous about stuff, it's like thinking of things to be, you know, what a massive opportunity or I'm really going to enjoy this work. And I find in my work when I'm doing something quite scary, you know, if I reframe it like that, I love what I do. I never not love what I do, but it gives it a different slant, doesn't it? It's like, wow, I'm going to bloody enjoy myself today. And I guess if you go with that mindset into your, into your work, it just makes it better, doesn't it? Talk to me about why you've why you dance, what it does for you as a person. Um, could you recommend it to others for confidence? And how it, you know, what you, why you love dancing so much? I was doing fitness reviews for the Evening Standard online and I got sent this dance class and I was thinking that's my worst nightmare. I'd done <gasps> a couple of dance classes before and I just hated it. I was just stressed and angry because I couldn't pick up the steps. It went too fast for me. And I, you know, those classes where you're just thinking, I just want to leave. Yeah, Will the, cry. Is it rude <laughs> if I just leave? Yeah, I just feel like I want to cry. <laughs> but I went to this one because I thought, well, at least it will be a funny review. And then I really enjoyed myself because it's a company called At Your Beat and it was all about confidence. It was quite commercial it was a lot of lines, which I can do as a model. So at least there was an element to it, which I could be good at. Mm -hmm. And I just kept going. And then I got really addicted. And then within about three months, my body had completely transformed. It's not that I wanted to be thinner. It was just the proportions of my body became more streamlined. But the best thing about it was I was eating more than ever and I wasn't exercising for aesthetic reasons. I was just addicted to going because I could see myself improving. And also because this dance company had a real community ethos. So I was building a real great group of very enthusiastic friends. And I challenged myself with different styles of dance. So there was heels. And for the first time ever, I was able to walk in heels properly. So I started booking shows. I did lingerie shows. I'd never done lingerie work before. And because the people in this dance class 
are so supportive. And also, like, there are people who work in tech and we all just think they're geniuses. And there are people who are PRs and it's like they are surely the best PR in the world. And they literally think I'm a supermodel, which is so different to how I felt in modelling where I just thought I was boring, average nothing to be celebrated, surely going to be dropped any day. So I started walking into castings like I was a supermodel and I started booking so much more work and I started standing differently because I always like to think, you know, I love going to galleries and then kind of referencing art or things I've seen in magazines or fashion eras to the work I'm doing on a shoe. I started moving differently and my career completely revived at 31 completely revived so my answer is yes I recommend dance to anyone and I really understand that looking at my classes on Instagram might be quite intimidating especially because I'm always finding new. yeah (laughs) well they're raunchy but I don't know if you noticed but Um, over lockdown I found a whole new style of dance that I've been doing which is quite strange and grotesque and it's basically just your arm movements but then I go on a shoot and I'm moving differently But even if you don't want to go to choreo classes, I'd recommend check out Zumba or check out aerobics with a dance influence or, you know, it's like salsa influence because it's not just the confidence it gives you in performance, but you have to look at your reflection. You have to look at your reflection in the mirror because you have to if you want to improve. So being... Um, looking at my reflection week on week and realising it wasn't so bad and that I could be sexy and that I could be confident from within, not just fake confident on a shoot, was really transformative for me. But it was also that community. Yeah, it is. It's the people, isn't it? Partly the people. And I'm sure it's the music as well. And in my work, you know, I encourage women to you know, when their confidence is low, music is always a really great thing to uplift you, isn't it? So you're obviously dancing to music, you've got people around you who were there for for the same reasons. They might have different reasons, but they're there for the same sort of outcome, aren't they? Did you ever feel self-conscious in those situations though? Because, you know, there's people around you, you're some of the dances that you've done when you were in the heels and all of that kind of stuff were, I'm not, they weren't raunchy, but they were, you know, they were quite sexy, weren't they? So did, did you ever have that level of self-consciousness? I had so many different self-judgment voices from the beginning. Loads, I think, go back to school where I didn't feel like I fitted in for a number of years. So I was real. I had no idea that I was so self-conscious about being tall. I thought everyone was just thinking that I looked stupid and gangly and couldn't look sexy doing the moves. I thought, oh, they're all friends, it's cliquey, they wish I wasn't here. If it needed performance and sexiness, I think, oh, they all think, because I'm a model, I'm up myself. And it was amazing because none of those things... The thing about dance is everyone is just looking at their own reflection. And with these classes, the more that someone performs, the more that someone brings the sexy out, whether they're in their 50s or whether they're in their 20s and whether they're tall and thin or whether they're five foot and curvy, it's amazing in their own right. So it was actually a really good lesson for me that people aren't judging me. It's me projecting my own judgments onto other people. And as for the raunchiness, no, I I never feel judged because I think, um, because I put it all on Instagram, but I think people know the place that it's coming from. Even though I do like validation from Instagram, when I put those videos up, I like the validation of people seeing my progress. I don't want people 
people don't comment like, oh, you're so fit. They're like, oh my God, this is amazing. Look at your lines. So I don't feel that judgment because I know that actually I've managed to make my Instagram quite a safe and supportive little community. Yeah, yeah. And that's how I saw it. I saw, you know, you just see, and I genuinely have seen you sort of develop and grow as a person. And I just think as an outsider looking in, that's just so wonderful. And if dance can do that alone... I know there's other things in your life as well, but if dance can do that to somebody's confidence, then everybody listening needs to go out there, don't they, and wiggle their bums. <laughs> oh my God, it would just make me so happy if every single person went to a dance class. I mean, yeah. everybody could benefit from it. Men, yeah. women, all ages. Yeah, because people sometimes write themselves off, don't they? Say, oh, I don't like dancing or I'm just not very good at it. Or I don't think many people, I mean, you went into that class not really knowing A, why you were there um, and B, if you were going to stay more than five minutes and look what it's done for you. It's just incredible, isn't it? it makes me want to go now. Woo! <laughs> um, yeah, I really recommend it. Yeah. Maybe one day, Rebecca Pearson, School of Dance. Hmm? Oh, no, because the other thing about dancing <laughs> is once you get to a certain level where you think, oh, I'm quite good now, you're just at the next level of not being good enough. You're constantly at the bottom right. of a new mountain, which is why it's addictive. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, because there's always somewhere to go, always some, and I guess there's millions of different styles as well, aren't there? So you do something, get quite good at it, try something else, maybe don't love it as much. The opportunities with it are endless, really, aren't they? So as a final thing, Rebecca, I'd love you to give listeners some some of your tips for confidence. They can be from any aspect of your life, and maybe it could be you know the way you work on your confidence, or just some things that you've learned along the way. So. Rebecca, what are your top tips for confidence? Number one is dance classes. Just do it. Just go to one. Love that. I've explained why, but just don't think about it. Just book one. The second one is body neutrality. I think for a lot of people, confidence around their body is a really tricky area. And I think there's a lot of messaging out there that's saying, love your body, love your cellulite, embrace your boobs. And it can be quite a leap from not liking what you see in the mirror to saying you love it. And I found for me, I had a real problem with the way my body looked after puberty because I was scouted as a young teen for being very tall and thin. And then when I grew curves, I just wished they'd disappear. I think when I started dancing and doing more yoga, my body became more of a vessel for learning dance moves and mastering my limbs or really tuning in from head to toe in yoga and it became less about how it looked and more about what it could do and I would say now that I do love my body but there was this period where my body was just my body and I can't tell you that I love my cellulite but I can tell you that my cellulite is there and unless I dramatically overhaul my diet which I'm not going to do it's going to stay there. So I can say it's there. I'm fine about it, which I think, I think that's healthy. I think that's fine. And I think that's a good, that's a good approach. If you really don't like your body, don't feel forced into trying to love it. Just learn to accept it as something that gets you from A to B or that climbs or dances or produces children. All in all, I think body neutrality can be a really valid approach to body acceptance. 
And then finally, have a passion. Obviously mine is dance, but I have other passions. And I think as soon as you channel your energy into a passion or a number of passions or hobbies, you stop having so much nervous energy around body image or comparing yourself to others because you're just consumed with your passion. And I think it's really important in relationships because it helps you maintain your identity. And it's important to have a reason to switch off from work sometimes. So definitely, if you feel like you don't have a passion or a hobby in your life, that's totally understandable. I've been there for a long time. I was modelling and all I thought about was modelling, really. But since developing more areas of interest where I can put my energy, I'm less desperate about where my next booking is coming from. And I think it just feeds into the self-confidence and the self-knowledge. Yeah, and it's being good at something, isn't it? Other yeah. than your job, you know. And that I, the story of you stumbling into that dance sort of world is just so incredible. So you know, it doesn't. Even, sometimes you don't even have to seek that hobby, do you? It could just almost land in your lap, or it could be just okay. I'll give it a whirl and see what happens. It's not okay. I'm going to start netball and I'm going to like it. It could be well, I'll just try it and see what happens, and then maybe that's the time that you find your passion. Yeah, you just because <laughs> one yeah, just because one person loves a certain type of exercise, it doesn't mean that that's what you have to do. It can be that you actually discover you love cross stitch, or courses on Open University, or you suddenly discover a passion for a type of art you didn't know you loved. It's just finding your thing, finding your thing. And going out and trying and thinking of those opportunities. Rebecca, I absolutely love that. And I just feel like I want to pump out the tunes now and dance my head off before the kids come back. I think I might try it. Um, it. Yeah, I'm not going to video it though and put it on Instagram. (laughs) Oh, Rebecca, thank you so much for joining me in the Confidence Rooms. You're welcome. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure you like, subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And I'll be back very soon with another episode of the confidence rooms you can find me on instagram at she underscore coaches underscore confidence on facebook at she coaches confidence and my website address is she coaches confidence.com <laughs>